Welcome to Out of the Woods, the Threat Hunting Podcast. Hey everyone, here we are at the Information Security Summit. Um, this is another special edition of the Out of the Woods Threat Hunting Podcast. This is Scott Poley, your host. And today we are going to have an in-depth conversation with our guest here, Tony Petricola, president of Agile Blue. Nice to meet you, Tony. So one of the things I like for our audience to really understand is, you know, kind of about you, where you, how you ended up, where you're at, what drove you there? What are some of the key milestones that kind of made you who you are in cybersecurity today? Yeah. You know, I got my start many, many years ago at Apple as a system engineer. Yeah. This is before Apple was cool, though, man. Back yeah. <laughs> then, this is 1997, we were falling apart. It was, yeah. it was not looking very good. Um, but anyway, um, became an engineer at Apple, which was great, right? Steve Jobs had just come back. Um, and obviously, with any technology platform, hardware, software, obviously rolled into mobile. I wasn't mm. there for that. Security is a huge, huge component of everything that, that right. we did. So um, it became something that, uh, that I had a passion for because client gets hacked, you got some big problems. Right, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. You know, furthering... I uh, left Apple to start my own company uh, here in Cleveland, Ohio, called 10th Floor. Okay. And we created an early e-commerce platform. So we weren't necessarily cybersecurity specialists, but we built everything to be very secure. Our customers right. were transacting. Yeah, you had to, yeah. Absolutely had to. Um, and then um, uh, after selling that company and, and doing some other little things, um, we started this company called Agile Blue. And Agile Blue has one mission in life, and that's to stop c- cybersecurity breaches to small and mid-sized businesses. They don't, okay. they don't have the budget the big right. guys do, right? right. Uh, so we created a platform that helps do that, 24-7 team that helps uh, mitigate risks. So yeah, that's what we're doing now. So when you say you have a platform that has a team, do you have a team that helps manage that platform externally into those small and medium-sized business? So you kind of do a service type support or is it just yeah. all platform and tooling specific? No, it's a great question. So we're considered what's, uh, what's known as a SOC as a service. So okay. Security Operations Center as a service. So small and mid-sized businesses don't have this, you know, extensive cybersecurity teams that takes millions and millions of dollars to develop and, and obviously pay. So we offer that service. So we have a technology that detects th- cyber threats using advanced machine learning. Okay. That technology can also respond to a cyber threat. So shut down a server or, or device, block a 360 or disable a 365 account, things like that. But what's more important is it can't just be tech, right? So we have a 24-7 team, mm-hmm. uh, lots and lots of people. Uh, all in the state of Ohio. And what they do is they're there 24-7. So if something goes down at 2 a.m., they work with that technology okay. to make it happen. If something goes down at 2 p.m., they're working with the tech and the customer to make sure uh, the risk is mitigated. So that's how the uh, the, the platform works. All right, cool. So you, you mentioned that you guys use AI or machine learning as part of your products. I know one of the the catches in a lot of solutions is how that gets trained, right? So how you develop the capabilities that it learns from. Sure. And your product, do you guys train that within your own space and then push it to the product? Or do you take training data from the customers to help get it up to snuff as far as what's current, recent, and things like that? You know, it's a great question. And I just got done doing a presentation on on AI and how it's changing cybersecurity. So our platform was built with machine learning okay. that understands, obviously, normal behavior of humans and devices, and more importantly, the anomalous behavior. Right. So when that anomalous behavior peaks its head, our system's able to jump on it very, very quick. Those models are, I mean, think about it. That technology is based off reading log files, right? Mm-hmm. Um, been around for a little while. Where it's going in AI, you bring up training, right? So everybody knows what an LLM is, a large uh, language model, mm-hmm. right? And 
what can you train that data on? So obviously it's not just internal data. It could be uh, subs bringing third-party threat intelligence right. to make that data better, stronger, maybe even using the internet, right, to have you know, the, the latest stuff. Um, you can bring all that together in a large language model, but you have to train um, those models and you have to be confident in what you're training it. Mm -hmm. You also have to be confident that training model is not corrupted or poisoned. Biased, yeah. Because yeah. that could be pretty damn, pretty damn ugly too, right? So uh, those things are very, ex I mean, we're, we are in, in not even uh, any one of those where we're just batting practice of those, right? Yep. And we're testing those proof of concepts. You're going to see them start to proliferate. But I think you're going to see that later in 2024. Definitely getting into 2025, you're going to see more of that. Maybe less of the consistent or traditional machine learning rule sets that you've seen for the past, I don't know, 15 years. And so I'm curious, you know, because you have, you're kind of using technology in a very creative way, right? And I know one of the things a lot of socks and even large businesses is like the alert fatigue perspective, sure. right? And because you're, you're taking advantage of with your approach to how you train things, um, do you guys see that your approach helps reduce some of that noise of that or that level of noise that analysts typically have to deal with on a day-to-day? -day? Yeah, it's a great question. So currently, when you think about machine learning models and you think of silencers, you're looking for like-minded characteristics to know these things are false positives so you can slam them down. Mm -hmm. Forget, you know, not just alert fatigue, but also training your machine learning. Oh, yeah. When you look at today, though, in AI, um, there's a couple of models that are uh, very early on. Uh, Security BERT. Um, Falcon LLM, and these models are just starting to get trained and played with. The average machine learning is going to be anywhere from 78 to 80-some percent, right, true. Um, so you still got a pretty big delta. And if you're talking about thousands of alerts, that could be hundreds that you're still dealing with. Some of the early tests that we're seeing with some of these more cyber-specific mm -hmm. LLMs is about 98% accuracy. So you're talking huge reams of getting through that. And by the way, that 2%, much smaller number, but as you learn that 2% and it adjusts itself for that 2%, it's not going to be 98%. It could be like 99.95% you know, right. and really get you to a point where you've done two things. You have true accurate data, so high confidence in what you're actioning. And by the way, you don't need a million people in your sock now. The system's got confidence. It can move and make a response. And it's not that these people are going to be out of a job. There's lots of jobs for them, right. but they could be out of the mundane doing little things that, that systems can definitely do. You could basically handle like that tier one level of a lot of the software. Tier one, tier two. We're, okay. we're training it in the tier one, tier two. If you could reduce that, you've taken those ridiculous mundane actions out and really taken those analysts to become engineers doing much more advanced type of uh, investigations. So in your platform, um, you know, one of the, uh, I know one of the struggles, especially when you have organizations that have a lot of technology and you're dealing with small to medium-sized businesses how do you create that single pane of glass for them so that they can see things? Because I know if they have less staff, and yep. obviously you're creating a capability that doesn't require as much staff, they still need to be able to understand what's going on. What does that look like for them with your product? You know, anybody can put up a screen that shows, here's how many cases we had, here's how many have been closed, here's what's mm -hmm. open. It's the wrong mindset. What we try to do is score everything. If you have an executive that logs into the platform, they don't want to see cases. Right. We want to show them your security score is X, Here's what it was, and here's the two or three, hopefully two or three things, hopefully it's not 200 things. Here's the two or three things we're working on right now. Um, and hopefully our team would have been proactive in working through with that executive. So we're all about risk scoring. We're all about having them look at a holistic picture of, of their true attack surface. And it comes down to one thing, visibility. 
I don't know how looking at tickets gives you visibility. It gives you visibility into the ticket. Yeah. It doesn't give you visibility into your entire digital infrastructure. If we can give them that and show them the one or two spots that we got problems, we can then work with him or her on that and make sure those are, those are tightened up. That's what it's about to us is understand that security posture and where there's a vulnerability to it. Okay. So in the space where you're at, because you're the small to mid size, yep. what kind of threats do you guys see that may be different or, or are they similar? Do you like, what is it that you would say you experienced since you guys were able to kind of have that live interaction? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. And, and let me give you two examples. One, small and mid-sized businesses, obviously they're decentralized now. They're more remote. Mm-hmm. They were doing that even before COVID, but COVID right. just obviously accelerated it. More cloud. So you think about the small and mid-sized businesses, they don't have data centers and own servers. They're all pretty much all in the cloud using 365, yeah. Azure, AWS, GCP, whatever they're using. So you're seeing much more cloud. And it might not be somebody just hacking into their cloud. Generally, it's, it's more CSPM, cloud security posture management. They got set up wrong. Yeah. They got some, some settings that are misconfigured. Those are the types of things we're seeing a lot with the small and mid-sized businesses. Okay. And then, of course, the second thing is going to be your endpoint. Because people don't just work from home. They go to Starbucks. They go to uh, you know United on an airplane. And if you can get Wi-Fi that works consistently, they'll do anything from that, not realizing that is not a real secure uh, connection, right? So you're seeing down to the endpoint as well, obviously. Okay, very cool. So when you guys have active engagements, how much do you do from your side of the house versus how much the customer has to do for themselves? Do you draw a specific line of the sand or is that established in negotiations? Yeah. What kind of role does that you guys play at that? Well, it's established when we develop playbooks, right? Okay. So when you work with a customer, we develop a playbook. And that playbook is everything from every specific tech they use. So cloud, endpoint, 365, whatever they're using. Um, we create a playbook for each one of those. And that playbook has two things. Uh, one, if something happens, can we take care of it? Or do you have to take care of it, number right. one? And number two, that playbook should be dynamic. It, you know, a cybersecurity breach or a threat doesn't just stay in one lane. It's moving all over. So that, that playbook needs to be dynamic, right? So um, a lot of clients, uh, maybe some of the larger ones in the midsize group, they want the alert. And then right. them or you know, their team will jump on that alert with some, with some feedback from us and direction right. from right. us. Uh, smaller organizations, they don't have that someone. We are their someone. So okay. we're jumping in, doing the response, getting things at a level state, then bringing the customer and say, here's where we are. Here's what we need to be done next, or here's the decision that needs to be made. But we can get everything remediated to the point of the risk has been mitigated. Now let's deal with whatever that risk looks like. Very right, cool. So one of the things I know I've seen a lot of platforms, I'm curious what, to what level your platform offers um, the capability is, you know, there's a lot of telemetry data that when you, you're collecting a bunch of data and you're running analytics against it, but there's some things that you want to find within the data that maybe analytics didn't pick up. Yep. Um, and we, we specialize in threat hunting as far as where I work and okay. things like that. Um, is there that access or the avenue to be able for someone to look across their data within your platform and utilize it as a tool that way as well? Yeah. Totally. Um, I mean, so when, again, when you think about that size market, like, like you, you do it for your customers, but we do it for ours, right? Okay. They don't even know what threat hunting might be. They don't have the staff to do it. And maybe don't even want that part of skill set. So yeah, we do do that. Now I'll tell you what's interesting. When you start looking at, you know, looking through logs and looking through the SIM and things like that, mm-hmm. you know, a good threat hunter understands what they're doing and then they can find those diamonds in the rough. LLMs can start, you, you just mentioned telemetry. The majority of log files and the telemetry you're gathering doesn't go towards analysis. Right. It's kind of junk. It's kind of right. just there, it's right? Noise, yeah. When you look at LLMs, the way that it can understand structured and unstructured data 
Now some of that useless telemetry might be able to be used or at least maybe enhance some of the things we're seeing. And so I think that is also going to make threat hunting a little bit more, um, well, A, I think a little bit easier, but B, a little bit more meaningful um, once you can start figuring out how LLMs can, can, can do that in terms of a threat hunting uh, role. Yeah, I do think it's interesting. So I've built some machine learning models of playing with it, trying to learn yeah. the technology, right? Um, and I did one that basically was a malware identifier. Was okay. this malware or not? You know, worked pretty well. Used the random tree type, you know, structures yeah. for things. And the one thing I thought was the most interesting was how well models identify what's important in the data. Because when you start training models through this type of evolutions, it basically will say, well, this data seems to influence the decision more than this data. You can give me all of it, but I'm right. going to weight this higher. Like, yep. this is more important to me. Um, and I was wondering, I know it's really hard in some well, cases. Real quick, because I think that's great what you just said. Yeah, go ahead. Did you find that successful? Like, if you looked at it, it was what that model was coming back with. Would it have made your job easier or you don't even know what they, the answer to that question So is? I wasn't smart enough to know what it was highlighting. Okay, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, neither but, did I. But what was really cool was it was still very accurate as far as what I was doing. And, I, and my comparison was I was basically validating its buyer's total. So I was going to be able to see, well, what do the other endpoints say? And typically there'd be some things that were net new coming out. I would identify correctly. Things are like 24 hours behind. So it gave me an idea of how endpoints work, sure. right? They'll train up, they'll figure it out, um, but there's still that lag time. But one of the other studies that I actually it got me onto this the topic was a guy was trying to do machine learning for um, video recognition if he had wolves okay. or dogs in the neighborhood. Okay. And he was smart enough to figure out what did it pay attention to. And in that specific point, he was able to see that it actually didn't pay attention to the animal at all because what his training data was, if it was a wolf, it was in the wilderness. Okay. If it was a dog, it was in a neighborhood. Yeah. And the model fully. Yeah, right. Hopefully, right. But then the model just looked for the outside of the dog. It was the outside in the wilderness? It would call it a wolf. Yeah. And he realized that those weren't necessarily the factors that. I mean, it was smart enough to figure that out based on his data, but sure. those weren't the factors he thought when he was looking at stuff. So I think that's what's interesting about some of the machine learning is obviously you got to um, control how you train things, and it was unsupervised. You kind of get away from some of that, where yep. it can kind of learn some of those things based on rarity and things in the environment. But it also, it's amazing how well it can pick out the important things. And you mentioned there's a lot of junk or noise so much in sure. the data. Or data that's not used at all. Right? Well, that's true. It might bring data to the surface, right? right. I think that's a very valuable thing that uh, it's we, will, we won't know until we start actually looking at threats and seeing how that was actually disclosed. So where I was going with my yeah. entire question, right, was knowing that that is kind of a characteristic of machine learning. Is that something that you guys um, try to learn on the back end as far as how your model's learning or what are they performing on and yeah. things like that? Or is it still kind of... We just validate the input and the outputs. No, I think it's, well, I think it's all of it that okay. you just said. And I think it's really critical uh, to uh, to test all those theories all the time. If you don't, you'd be like a car mechanic. Somebody brings in and says, my brakes don't work. You, you, you jiggle the brakes. You can tell I don't know anything about yeah. cars. You jiggle <laughs> the brakes, you do some things, you just give it back to the client without putting that thing on the road and, and, and you know, trying to stop at 70 miles an hour or 20 miles an hour, right? So you absolutely have to do that. And well, you're just saying, uh, I can either send this to you in an email or you can go search it on Google. That security BERT Falcon LLM white paper on uh -huh. what it's doing does take that to the next level. Okay. does understand that data. And if it can improve accuracy around what you just said from, let's say, say 82% to 98%, that is a huge gain for any organization, right? Um, so, yeah, it'd be really interesting to take a look at that white paper. Seven, eight pages. It's not like you got to read uh, you know, the war and peace or anything. But it's really good data. And they took the, um, the different things they were trying to do uh, and solve 
And it was amazing how that LLM not only understood the input, but then came back with, here's exactly what needs to happen. So, cool stuff. so because you're trying to do things on the cutting edge, you know, sometimes it's, it might be challenging to have more foresight of where you want to go next. Have you thought, or what are some things that you're thinking about that you think will be the next level for you guys? Well, I think the next level with cyber period is the impact AI is going to play with it for the bad guys, right? So, you know, the bad guys are super smart and they're very well funded. I mean, cyber attacks um, are up 86% over the last month after uh, obviously what's going on in Ukraine it's yeah. going in the world and what happened in Israel. So uh, bad guys need money to put wars on, uh, unfortunately, and ransomwares are through the roof right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and you know they're becoming more sophisticated. It's not just a phishing email that you're getting. Yeah, yeah. Much more sophisticated. We're seeing deep fakes. We've actually seen customers have deep fakes with voicemails, yeah. uh, text messages. It happened. Uh, we've seen it happen. Uh, so it's pretty scary stuff. And if you think about it, your life's on the go. Uh, this AI, these deep fakes can get you quicker than an email these days because you might just be texting someone while you're driving 68 miles an hour. Right, right. By the way, don't do that. <laughs> but you could, and all of a sudden you got a big problem. So the bad guys are going to be using AI. How do you defend against AI? Well, you, you got to have AI, and not everybody has AI. In fact, no one has AI, really, <laughs> yeah. if you think about it. It's probably machine learning marketed as AI. Right. So as the bad guys start you know, really tripping people up, uh, you're going to see way more proliferation of people needing devices, or excuse me, technologies that can that can decipher this stuff. I think the only way to beat AI is to deploy AI. Okay. So we're moving from more of a machine learning um, type of platform. And like I said, all of our POCs right now, everything we're doing from a research perspective is two things. Number one, can we use these large language models uh, to help make us more accurate? Mm-hmm. But number two, can we use something we call Copilot as well, not Microsoft Copilot, which comes out, I think, tomorrow or Monday or something yeah, like that. Some more, yeah. yeah, around the corner. I don't, I, and I'm sure it's going to be a great product, but it's Microsoft. Um, but us also deploying our own technology to make, the, because you got that accuracy, mm-hmm. now make a decision to do something. Now you could bring in an analyst to say, okay, here's what has to happen next, but the technology took care of it in milliseconds, right? Yeah. That's where we need to be right now. So one of the things I know, so on uh, security operations center that I was running and managing, uh, we spent a lot of time on when we did some of the orchestration automation piece. wasn't so much on making decisions, but getting all the relevant information in front of an analyst. Mm-hmm. So the decision was easy to make. Sure. Right. So that we increased the speed of the analyst because we got rid of the mundane things, but also it gave it enough information so that they can say with high confidence, they're not messing up. Right. Um, do you have any, I know you have high confidence in your behaviors and your alerting. Do you have anything that adds that extra layer of uh, context around with some of the stuff that you guys do? Well, I think a couple things are, number one, um, more of a case-based system, right, okay. than a ticketing-based system. Because as you bring that case together, you have multiple tickets. Okay. You're getting a much fuller picture, right? I think so it's not just a single alert driven. You can 100%. actually have, you can have multiple things pulled. Okay. Yeah, and the majority of things that we tend to see, especially at the small and mid-sized business level, a case has multiple yeah. tickets or alerts within it. So that's great because now you, you decision something one time mm-hmm. and there might be 50 different you know, things that's being affected with that. So that's, that allows us to move quicker. The next thing is just how can you take third-party threat intelligence and make everything better, right? Yeah. Um, more definitive, more understanding, uh, more up-to-date, especially with ransomware, uh, understanding the different hashes, how they might have changed, things like that. Those are the types of tools we're given to our analysts. But again, I say that we're doing that but we're all, then also looking for ways, like I said, in 2024, later in the year, as you move out of that, uh, the technology can do that, can take that level one, level two, make that accurate decision, move extremely fast, 
and then get the analyst in to start talking to the customer. Here's what we did. Here's what we recommend next. Right. The customer does not want to hear from a technology, an email, voice, Slack. Here's what you need to do next. Yeah. In, the technology can say, we've, 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 we've shut down all these machines, say. Mm-hmm. Now, someone they trust calls up and, hey, John, this is Sergio in the, in the analyst room. Everything's locked down. We've mitigated the risk, but here's exactly what needs to happen next. That's why they're paying a customer, or a company like ours. They right. do want to hear a human at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, because we talk about the level of expertise and resources, right? Yeah. That's, that's definitely going to be a good thing to have, at least a sounding board. I know that was like a big valuable thing for us was just having someone you could throw ideas against because- totally. Sometimes you think, am I thinking about the problem the right way? Even, right. right. Even if you have a good understanding. Now think about if you were trying to have that conversation with a chatbot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. I'm sure the chatbot's going to be wonderful in some regard, but at the, at the end of the day, you're going to keep typing representative. Like I recall United Airlines, like what can we help with? Like yeah. representative. Well, just answer 11 more questions. Just give me the representative. I know what I want. I, yeah. I know what I want. I got to talk to someone about this. I'm not going to go through this, this tree, right? Right. Right. No, absolutely. Um, very good. Um, so one of the things I want to drive into, I know you kind of touched on it, um, as how AI can be, you know, on, from the adversary side is a big, big fear, a big problem. Are there other areas in cybersecurity that you think has become a growing risk or a risk that we haven't really addressed effectively just from either with clients you've worked with experiences you've had? Can you speak to any of that? Well, I can say this, people are experimenting big time with things like ChatGPT mm-hmm. and BARD and stuff like that, where it's added an extra layer of complexity. And I talked about this in my, my presentation uh, an hour or so ago. People are putting all kinds of crazy confidential information into yeah. these, into these uh, uh, models, into these GPTs. Think about it. Samsung, they posted financial information before they um, did a public announcement. They're publicly traded, so they, yeah. got, they got smacked pretty hard. I know of hospitals who have published or not published, put patient PHI information about the cancer battle they were having and the outcomes to see what Chad GPT could specifically right. help with. That's insane. And it's not that these people are malicious. They're just negligent, right? They're right. thinking, hey, if this great tech could help with cancer or reduce stay times. They're trying to do the right thing. They're doing the right thing. Right. They're not thinking. When you go to ChatGPT, and whoever's ever listening to this podcast right now, go on and and, um, and click on ChatGPT. The first thing it says when you go in is, don't give us information. Yeah, right. We can see this stuff. And, and then you have to hit the next button to actually use it, right? Um, that's pretty scary. And companies are dumping tons of data in there. So you're going to see a lot of policies and procedures come out mm-hmm. that tell people not to do this. Now, people aren't going to listen. Right. And we, have, we know people who are actually now restricting within their four walls and their firewall, people going to ChatGPT or BARD. That's crazy, though. You want them to use it. Yeah. They just need to know what not to put into it, right? Right. So we're seeing a lot of that right now. I, I, have you seen any of this with some of no, your customers? No, I, I've definitely heard some of the, the conversations around this, some of the fears. And some of the customers I know, they're trying to figure out how to, you know, four-wall it off, right? Yeah. And, you know, I'm I'm kind of a firm believer where chat GPT and tools like that are becoming tools that are commonly known tools. And it's like you have to embrace new technology, totally. right? If you run from it, then eventually you're going to fall behind, totally. right? And right. so great point. I feel like that's something that uh, – some companies will learn the hardware potentially. Yeah. I mean, there is there is that fear and uncertainty, but you know, there's ways we've handled these types of problems in the past. That's right. And we just got to take a similar approach and you know have those good conversations and make yeah. smart decisions. I mean, everybody always fears ransomware and all this, and and you, and you have to. But a lot more things we see these days are misconfigurations when it yeah. comes to the cloud. Yeah. Are people putting confidential data? And if you don't think as a cybersecurity professional, I mean, that data 
is some that's what you're protecting at the end of the day, mm-hmm. right? That that data helps companies go, right? Or right. is what makes companies go. Yeah. Uh, it, you you got to protect it just like you would an endpoint. Yeah, it's funny. I've had that conversation about how. It's so interesting to work in cybersecurity because we're defending something we created. Yeah. Right. It's like, it's almost a made up field. Right. Yeah. And so it's just kind of, I look back, I'm like, is this really a rewarding field? But it is kind of cool because it, we literally, everything we have is fabricated. Yeah. And now we put protections around it. We learn about it and figure out how to use it to make everyone's lives better. hundred percent. So. And like anything else, the bad guys know what they're doing. They're just extraordinarily uh, smart people. I was talking to someone at DEF CON this year. And, uh, and he, it, you know, it, it was interesting having this discussion. I didn't, I didn't meet him at DEF CON. I met him at the bar. Yeah. You know how bars can go. In yeah, 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 Anyway, we were talking. And he used to be a, um, a certified ethical hacker, worked for a big organization. He now works for a very well-funded ransomware gang out of, well, it used to be the Ukraine. I don't, I don't know where they are now, but maybe it still is. I don't know. And he, he's just, you know, we're having a drink talking about it. You know, I, it's not like I'm a police officer or yeah. FBI or anything like that. And he's like, you have no idea how much money I make. And I said to him, I didn't want to know. Yeah. <laughs> don't turn me to the dark side, pal. Uh, I'm not Darth Vader over here. Um, but at the end of the day, um, the money they make, um, it's e- sometimes they see an, an easier path. And that's, that's sad in a way too, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, one of the things, it's interesting when you talk to people new to the field, they don't really understand how much the field's really, or the bad side is financially motivated. 100%. If, 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 if there was no money to be made, they wouldn't be doing half the stuff. That's right. Because like when, the, when hackers first emerged, it really was about curiosity. And that's what drove it. And now people realize you can make money. That changed the game. Changed the game. Right? So, um, so yeah. Well, it's funny. People also will say, oh, if there was no Bitcoin, then this would all go away. Uh, <laughs> BS. There's a million ways yeah. for financial restitution to be paid to someone. Trust me, they would have figured it out. Yeah, it did help scale things up because totally. it made some things easier. Yeah. But absolutely. Yeah, they'll find ways. And, you know, and looking at some of the operations, too, when you look at ransomware groups in general, it's just amazing how they're almost their own close-knit community. Like, they oh, dissolve, yeah. they absorb into another one. You know, that's why when you even look how they operate, they operate a lot of the same ways. They yep. utilize some of the same techniques. Um, so it's a very interesting dichotomy you see amongst yep. that, those groups of people. We, I'm president of InfraGuard as well, okay. which is a private partnership, yeah. uh, private companies in the FBI. And um, a lot of them dissolve because they start getting too hot. They dissolve, pop something back else up. Right. There's no heat on them just yet. They're extreme. Again, they are extremely smart. And, you know, you see all the time you read the Wall Street Journal like, oh, a, a hacking group was was caught and this guy got sentenced to five years or 10 years in jail, whatever. Awesome. There's eight thousand, though, that haven't been caught. Right. And, and when you see the one or two get publicity, that's great. And it's meant to be a deterrent. But there's so many odds. They're like, you're never going to catch me. That's the mindset. You're never going to catch me. Yeah. And even if, you know, stepping outside of those groups, I know um, there was a guy who had a conversation with I think it was in Nigeria. And it was just, of course it was. Yeah. Prince, he had a million dollars. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, that Nigerian, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> but but this guy was literally, he's like, yeah, these guys rolled in. They said, hey, you can make some money. And all we want you to do is basically do, you know, smishing and fishing yeah. all day campaigns. We'll pay you. And it's like, that's his livelihood to pay his family. He's not looking as he's doing criminal activity. He's just like, I just, I get paid to send emails all day. He's providing a service. Right. So, and that's what, that's what people need to understand too, is it's not just guys trying to do bad things, right? right? Sometimes they're just part of the machine. 100%. Yeah. Well, they are. And I had a hacker one time tell me, it was an interesting discussion. This is, I think, at Black Hat pre-COVID, um, so so a number of years ago. There's no difference of, he was trying to make this point. There's no difference of me and a bartender. The bartender's going to give you a drink. That's actually going to be harmful for you. <laughs> but I'm just giving you the drink, man. I'm not making your body, you know, yeah. you know, create some kind of addiction or anything like that. And he's like, I'm doing the same thing. I'm, and this guy, I think was a ransomware guy. He's like, we're just creating the, the method to do it. 
If somebody does it for bad or good, that's on them. I'm just giving them the tools to make it happen. Yeah. And I think that's how they compartmentalize things to make things go. Now, you just saw the other day um, in New York, actually yesterday, a hospital was hit with massive ransomware uh, r- real close to Connecticut. And um, it shut down an ambulance that was, um, I believe, going to a very uh, intense emergency. Oh, I didn't know that. That's when it starts getting to be life and death. Yeah. And if you don't think more of that's going to happen, you're crazy because that's big bucks then if you can, if you can go into that. Uh, airports too. You probably saw airports since uh, since the uh, uh, thing happened in Israel have gone through the roof. Mm-hmm. Uh, TSA's put out a ton of stuff about airport safety, uh, airline safety systems. And by the way, when you see like, oh, United was down for an hour today. Were they really down? Like the, it never comes back that they were hacked. Right. They always say, no, we weren't hacked. Our yeah. system was just down. Yeah, yeah. I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know about that sometimes. But Yeah, I do know that's like the one scary and the, and the turning point. I, I remember, you know, when we learned about cyber law and how you know, policy is supposed to govern it. Everyone's like, well, a cyber attack is an act of war. Yeah. Uh-huh. But we've kind of gotten used to it. So it's not really an act of war anymore, right? But I know that it crosses the line when it becomes kinetic, right? When yep. you can make that physical event happen from a cyber thing, now it kind of reconstitutes, well, how are we actually going to evaluate this? Because we've been in the cyber war since like the 90s, right? Oh, it's totally. just been like going back and yeah, forth. It's war games. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like one of those things. Matthew Broderick brought us this. Yeah, and, and what's crazy is I remember even hearing a, a general talk about it, and he was saying... um, you know, the reason why we don't take such an urgent effect to how big it's gotten is because it's been a gradual increase, right? We haven't had that catastrophic event that makes right. everyone go, oh, this is even worse than we thought it was, right? right? It's just uh, like we kind of slowly get numb to the whole exactly. scheme of things. Um, I even had a conversation with someone um, earlier on the podcast this week, and she was talking about the, the Sony breach. Yep. And that was one of the first times where celebrities were calling yeah. the help center right. about my data. I lost my data because that was the first exposure they thought they could even lose their personal information. Yeah. Now people are so used to getting it stolen, it's kind of like, a, oh, yeah, that happened again, right? right. It's not the same same ordeal because we're getting numb to the same thing. No. Right? So it's just interesting to see our response to those types yep. of things. Right? Well, think about this, too. Um, it's also disruption. So you look at what just happened in Vegas over the last month, right? Oh, MGM. yeah, yeah. MGM filed their AK, uh, said they're down about $100 million because of it. Um, Caesars paid a $30 million ransom. Now, $30 million they paid, but how much disruption did it have? Slot yeah, machines weren't yeah, working. They weren't money. able to get people in the rooms. And that's Vegas. And they got all the money. They got more money than God at the end of the day, right? <laughs> God borrows from them when he does things. Absolutely. And if they can't protect against it and you're numb to that, what can they do to a mid-sized business? Oh, yeah, you're right. I mean, they can literally take you down. And not because they want to take your business down. They're going to yeah. take every last dollar they can. They don't really care if you're sustained or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you're just a dollar sign to them. They don't care that, you know, Bob and Susie, who have owned this business for 20 years and now have to mortgage their house because they're screwed. They don't think like that. Yeah. They're just trying to get every dollar. There's they no get. personal connection there. Yeah. Zero personal connection. You can go get Vegas all you want, but at the end of the day, Vegas is, again, $100 million a lot of money. Don't think I'm minimizing it. <laughs> yeah. but they're going to be fine. I'm going to yeah. go play crabs They'll next bounce year. Back. Yeah, I'm going to go play crabs <laughs> and give them some of that money back next year at Blackhead. But I'll tell you what. You take that to a mid-sized business and shut them down, now you got people losing jobs, uh, homes. Uh, it's a big cascading effect. If people become numb to cybersecurity, we're in trouble. Think about it. Everything we do is online. Mm-hmm. Everything. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, people can't even go to Starbucks anymore and order something. I was at Starbucks today, and we, you go every day. What do people do? They put their order in and go pick it up. Right. You're yeah. Right. They, don't, they, don't, they don't go to the cashier anymore, right? Everything's digitized. Everything. So, you know, the closing remarks, anything you want to specifically plug or say um, to our audience um, just about you, your highlights of what you mentioned or things you want to bring up that you haven't mentioned yet? Um, 
Yeah, floor is yours. Yeah, no, look, at the end of the day, I think, uh, you know, cyber attacks aren't going anywhere. They're just proliferating, number one. Number two, getting way more advanced as the advent of AI becomes more apparent to hackers of how they could use it in a, in, a, in, a, in a better capacity. So the impetus is on organizations to also use it to, are you ever going to stop every cyber attack? Absolutely not. But a good business mitigates risk. Right. If you can use it to mitigate your risk, um, that is the only way uh, that you can create a sustaining business, especially one that is, is digitized like everyone is. And my company, we are all about making sure small and sized businesses can utilize that technology as well because they don't have a billion dollars to spend, right? right? So uh, we can democratize that. We can spread it. We have a great service to do that. And uh, I can tell you, it's just getting worse every day of the week. The small and mid-sized guys are the ones paying the ransoms because they don't have the force like MGM has. Yeah. Um, So they're going to pay whatever to get their livelihood back. And by the way, will it happen again? Statistics show that if you've been hit with something, they're going to come back 30 days later because you probably didn't even solve the problem that you had. Yeah, it's potential, yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, I really appreciate the time. Yeah, it's I really a great discussion. The, yeah, enjoy the conversation. So, everyone listening, um, you know, I hope you enjoyed it as well. And for those that are our threat hunters, happy hunting. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks, man. What's the name of your company? Thanks for listening to the Out of the Woods podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. For more information or to connect with Cyborg Security, check us out online at www.cyborgsecurity.com and follow us on social media. We'll see you next time.